is Calvary, a place for encouragement, camaraderie, and practical steps for spiritual engagement. My name is Caroline Whitman, and I'm the Director of Communications and Care, and I'm here with Pastor Johnny and Ray Paul. Hey, good morning, Caroline. Hi. What's happening in your all's lives this, in this place in the year? And then let's zoom out after that and hear about where we are in the broader liturgical year as we are committing to live the story um, ever since Advent, which I can't tell if that kind of feels like it was like last week. Does that feel that way to you? No. <laughs> no? Okay. No, it feels a long time ago, like last year. <laughs> I guess I'm just like holding it up next to the 2020 crawl, and I'm like, yeah. oh, it was just Christmas. <laughs> I will probably read a lot into this. Oh, but, I'm sure. Feel yes. free. Yep. Psychoanalyze <laughs> me. Go. But like for me, personality wise, when it's over, it's over. <laughs> like I just, I'm like, it's like I cut it off and I'm like moving on. Yeah. I have to work so hard to like oh, stay to connected back. to something that's over. Really? Yeah. Ray, yeah. is that you too? So that's why like it feels so long ago because it's like, it's, it's over with and it's done. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think. I, there are certain things that stand out to me, but only if they... The things that tell the things that tell me where I'm where I am. So yeah. if something didn't give me enough of a sense of place in it, I won't take it with me. Mm. But if something did, so I had a really strong sense of place over Easter. So that's stuck and during Lent in particular. So mm. that's stuck with me way longer than it has in other years. Yeah, that's cool. So but if it if it had no moment in time sense, then then it's a good luck and it just yeah. gets on some sort of vague list somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I like to think of myself as more complex than just a competitive athlete. <laughs> but I think like that's about what I am. And so it's like, even to win a tournament, I'm already like, or a game or whatever. It's like, well, I mean, that was great. Enjoy it. And we got to like, there's someone else out there better than us. So we got to like keep playing, get ready exit. and go to the next. Isn't that exhausting though? Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe if you can, <laughs> maybe if you can cut things off, then you don't like, you're just on to the next thing. I don't know. So does that mean that even rest then doesn't carry over? Oh, man. Uh, does rest carry over? I mean, if in the moment of rest then, as soon as you're out of it, does it have any meaning or is it also left behind? The oh, same way it's, that, yeah, it's left behind. So why go on vacation if it doesn't mean anything? It's, if it's Vacation makes me anxious. Vacation makes me anxious. So the only time I'm not anxious on vacation is if we're backpacking. Because I've got like responsibilities, I've got tasks, I got to make breakfast, I got to clean up the dishes, I've, you know, we've got a, like a place to go, so, you know, but like if we're sitting at the, like we've gone with the Riegers a couple times uh, down to Marco Island, uh, Brett and Jody, and uh, like the beach is an anxious place for me, like I don't like the beach. <laughs> Oh, How did funny. we get there? We talked about rabbit holes and we were like, Should we keep we... going for another hour or two asking <laughs> no, you psychological questions? <laughs> I hope this gets cut out. <laughs> All right, sorry. Cut out. <laughs> so where are you in this year? What are you looking forward to? What are some highlights? And then let's zoom back out of liturgical year. Um, where are we in the liturgical year? Uh, okay, I can go first. Um, I would, we've actually had some 
I mean, things like our kids are starting to, I think our two middle schoolers will be back, I think pretty much all day full time next week. So they're kind of excited about that. So yeah. that's cool. And we did get a soccer season. Even the fall was canceled and we got to do a spring. It like came and went. It's already over, which is, that was nice. It was nice to be with the high school boys again. And those are important relationships. And so that's cool. Um, we uh, have a pretty fantastic new dog. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been a big part of our lives. <laughs> we got a, a almost four-month-old now Rottweiler. And, uh, she definitely is like the new queen of the house, <laughs> like everything revolves around her. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So some fun things, you know, kind of coming into spring for us. So I think as a family, we're doing well and, um, it's fun being back in person for church. Yes. Yes. Um, and just some, some rhythms and I mean, even Ray, your class haven't set in on it, but just seeing like a pretty meaningful group in there it's just cool to walk by and see and so um yeah i think a lot of a lot of good things going on you know Mm -hmm. right now in some ways so yeah i'm i am right at the end of my school year in uh taking part-time grad school and so that's been an interesting sort of ramp up the pressure of getting it all done but on the flip side, the number of in-person stuff that's been able to happen, at least in church or, or just with the nice weather alone yeah. has also made it feel like, like there's so much more opportunity yeah. and a lot of new life just in that way, even mm. in-person church or the class, which has been stunning and yeah. just a really delightful group of people. So, so that's been really exciting. So as much as I love the research and let's write a Hmm. meaningful theological paper, the let's sit down in the evening when I would like to be outside or go for a run or do something um, in person is a little, that's, that's a little in conflict right now, but I'll get through it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Um, As far as the liturgical year and where we're at Caroline, um, I mean, I think it has been a fun, we have always attempted, you know, at Calvary to try to access the full story of the life of Jesus through the liturgical year and have just kind of like, you know, constantly, you know, started and stopped, started and stopped, started and stopped. And I feel like, um, whether through the podcast or some online resources we've been able to do or some even in-person stuff through the art displays, you know, it's, it's, I feel like been a sweet journey this year as a church. Um, I got good feedback from people about it. And so, yeah, we are um, in the middle of Easter in Easter tide, and um, getting close to Pentecost. And um, I remember we had a conversation a couple months ago during uh, Epiphany, and talking about how we often celebrate, you know, start with Advent, get super excited, ramping into Christmas, and then like a hard crash and burn after Christmas. And then we're like, oh yeah, like we probably should, you know, keep going at this uh, liturgical story thing. And so we, you know, ramp back up for something for Lent and then really get it going with Holy Week. But we forget Epiphany, which is kind of the revelation and manifestation of Jesus's life, his words, his works, his person. Um, And we talked about like why that is, which was like a fun conversation um, and I think we also, as I'm, we're kind of heading toward Pentecost, even for me, 
it'd be so easy to just be like, well, we did pretty good. We got to Easter. <laughs> let's, let's call it a day, you know? Like, that's not too bad. Like, we did better this year. Um, and uh, Caroline, I know you've really been um, pushing for how we th- think about celebrating um, Pentecost. And so um, this conversation uh, for our listeners, I think we want to really just kind of a, like have a seed theological conversation about the depth and beauty of the liturgical story heading toward Pentecost. Um, and so that's kind of what we wanted to do this morning is just spend some time uh, discussing the, the, the role of Pentecost in the storyline and really ascension and Pentecost um, and then the role of the Spirit in our own daily individual lives. So excited to do that this morning. Um, maybe one of the things... I would ask you guys in starting that conversation is what was your understanding of the spirit in relation to your kind of theological formation from childhood to adolescence? Um, What was handed to you (laughs) um, as in who the spirit is and his role in your life? Ooh, Oh boy. Should we unpack this? <laughs> I, I'm trying to think who the, how it was handed to me. Cause there's a weird set of, um, both of my grandparents are missionaries. So their experiences in overseas, oh, yeah. they have some very incredible stories, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they sort of siphoned that off when we mm. came stateside. And my understanding of the spirit was like, Ooh, it was this cool thing. It's got some, my grandparents have some stories about it, you know, Ethiopia or Italy or whatever the case Mm. might be. But meanwhile, the spirit is just something that we talk about and you have a box checked that you have it and there's nothing else. Mm. So there was definitely a divide there of, um, because you didn't want to get too, I think the push generally with the, with the spirit was that you didn't want to get too weird. Yeah. yeah, I I can can totally understand that. Just, yeah. But I, I mean, I think that's a helpful way for you to say it. Um, uh, the idea that, like, you just need to make sure you have it. Mm-hmm. But we're not sure what to do with it once we have it because we do feel like within, that, within like, a cessationist tradition, like, there are weird things that we feel like aren't appropriate. And so to kind of safeguard from that, you know, well, you know, kind of put up gates or whatever it might be. But and so then the emphasis does become in like just just have the spirit. Yep. Um, but box not, checked. You're yeah, good to go. I'm not really sure exactly what we do with it yeah. once we have yeah a relationship. And with the spirit. Holy Spirit is always an it. Mm. Yeah. You have it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's good. Yeah, I'm thinking about like Jesus was the main character, and the Father is kind of like you know the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain that you like. He sounds big and exciting and you don't really know about him, but you could read about him and think about him. Um, and then the spirit is like the Casper, the friendly ghost that shows up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just giving like, I don't know. That's kind of how my little self understood it. Right. <laughs> or I remember also thinking um, like, oh, my conscience slash the spirit. Mm-hmm. And that I, I saw those as synonymous. Um, and it's interesting now to think of it like there's elements of truth in that right and like a little self can see like a little 
Like there is direction that comes in the silent places of your heart and he speaks in that. And like, there is a little bit of truth there, but I have always been in like the more I find out about him, the better the news gets, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like he is, um, not a, you know, docile friendly ghost that shows up once in a while. And that's like exciting the more I'm learning. Yeah, I think um, from my tradition, it was a little bit emphasized on what he doesn't do. Hmm. Um, so kind of like sign gifts and stuff like that. They were in a cessationist tradition that was would definitely be nervous about misuses of the spirit. Yeah. So would emphasize things they did not believe, like tongues and signs and wonders that they did not believe was appropriate in this stage of redemptive history, that the Spirit is not doing that. But then to your point, I didn't have family members that were missionaries, but just growing up and hearing missionary stories, it was kind of unique because, like, there's a little bit of a irony there because, like, you would have these missionaries that have some crazy stories, and you validated it by, like, but you can trust those people. They're not crazy. Right. So, like, uh. something weird did happen, but it's not normal, and it's not... Right. You know, so they're just, it was kind of interesting. Like, I can appreciate the, like, I don't know, sense of, like, wanting to be careful of how you're explaining the role of the Spirit, um, given misuses, potentially. Um, And yet, like, not sure what to do with, like, people you trust saying, like, well, we had this kind of crazy experience. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, I think, I just never really tried to, like, I mean, as I'm, like, thinking back, those are, both presented realities however they were presented and just didn't really try to didn't feel the need to reconcile them i just yeah they just lived there in my head right yeah um and uh i think i always had an understanding that the spirit was nice right like he Mm -hmm. wanted to help me like he he wanted to comfort me he wanted to support me um which that felt good (laughs) <laughs> I think I also, though, thinking back to your mention, Caroline, about conscience, I do think every once in a while that the Holy Spirit became a version of like the good angel on the shoulder. Yeah. So it, so yeah. sometimes that would be comforting and sometimes it'd be very like, oh, you should, you should do that. <laughs> <laughs> like the shame whisper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you do, Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah that's interesting. I think one of the first things I read that really... Um, I was challenged or just like excited me like as you were saying Caroline like the more you read about the spirit the more excited you get the more you understand and learn uh, I think it was uh, Dan Migliori has a book called uh, Faith Seeking Understanding it's not like a huge systematic theology book it's it's pretty for, for as systematic theology <laughs> it's a smaller book um, and he talked about um how to understand the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, not in kind of philosophical, ontological terms of like, how can you get like three circles to be like together or, you know, those kind of ideas. But to think about the role of the, or to think about the reality of the Trinity in terms of like the story of redemption and the story of redemption or the, the like fulfillment of the gospel cannot happen if you don't have the Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that was like pretty like 
changing for me because I was imagining the spirit as um, something to be careful with because you could misuse as if it's like an object, you know, you could misuse. And then someone that was nice. But like not in terms of like the gospel doesn't get accomplished if the spirit doesn't do his work. Um, And that was like, and that was a way of understanding. Like if I wanted creation to be redeemed and restored, then I had to come to grips with that God was to be known as Father, Son, and Spirit. Because the Father alone, the Son alone, and the Spirit alone were not able to accomplish the gospel unless all three of them played their role in the accomplishment of the gospel. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, the Spirit has a pretty massive you know, like role in, in the story of the Bible and in everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, and so that's still like flying pretty high. Like that's not like kind of like what does he mean to me in my daily life? Um, but it gives you room to be able to say the power of the Holy Spirit without it being a weird phrase. Yes, right. That's right. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good observation. And so I think that was like um, just kind of opened my mind up to like, wow, like, and, and it was, we were talking about this earlier, and then I'll, I'll just stop and, and hear you guys' thoughts. Um, <laughs> And reflections from what I'm sharing here. But like the idea that like when Jesus said, um, when I leave to his disciples, it'll be better for you. And like the only way, like the only reality that could possibly make it better than the person of Jesus is the spirit of Jesus. You know, and that like I, I was joking that like if we are waiting for the spread of the gospel for the physical person of Jesus... Like, we have to wait for his naps. We have to wait for him to stop and eat meals. We have to wait for him to sleep at night. But imagine if Jesus is like, wait a second. Like, when I go to my father, I'm going to send my, there's going to be this amazing day called Pentecost. I'm going to send my spirit, wait for Pentecost, because I'm going to send my spirit to be in everyone that believes in me. And then simultaneously, all at once, my presence will be everywhere. Um, That's like, wow, like that actually makes sense why Jesus would say it's better. Like, trust me, it's not about like being mushy and you just want to be with me. It's like there's a, like a real missional like weight to the role of the Spirit. So Dan Miller really wasn't saying necessarily all of that, but just that initial idea of understanding the Trinity through the lens of the history of redemption instead of just pure philosophical categories opened up for me this, like, wow, what is the spirit, role of the Spirit in redemption? So curious your guys' thoughts in relation to that. Like, Well, I'm trying to think what, playing back to your saying, you know, what sort of started to resuscitate an understanding of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, yeah. and I'm thinking another piece of that, I think that was very redeeming for me, was the understanding of the Holy Spirit in relation to my own faith. Mm. Because of the when you start reducing the Holy Spirit to just something that you have in a box checked, it leaves a lot of room for the kind of discouragement of I'm not good enough. How do I hold on to this thing? How do I walk in faith in any meaningful way? When you're talking about the Holy Spirit being this empowerment and this bond. Initiator. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Then it's a sense of you are held yeah, and yeah. You, are, you are grasped in Christ yeah. and united to him. And that yeah. for me was... In some ways, my being hungry for that is what made me realize part of it is because mm. I've been missing this yeah. understanding of the spirit yeah. that holds me yeah. and unites me 
to Christ because I can't do it. And it's funny. I'm thinking of like, I was it Gerald in his sermon was talking about the cheesy like footprints in the stand. Yeah. <laughs> like Jesus has always been there. And that's like kind of it though. Yeah. It really as cheesy as it is, right? Like it is. Uh, but that's like it. It's like really all along the spirit initiated work in you and has been holding you and keeping you and sustaining you. But it's like, we are sometimes limited by our own understanding. Right. Yeah. Yep. And thinking like, thinking we're holding onto the spirit. It's like, no, yeah. I've got you. Yeah. And that like, but then there's like, there is like real psychological empowerment in like, um, the ability to like release ourselves from like, no, I'm having to hold the spirit. Cause if I don't like, can that check that box get erased? Erased. Yeah. You know, um, but really the spirit is, I mean, I love, like in relation to that, Paul's explanation that the spirit prays for us when we don't know what to pray. Oh, and that's yeah. just a powerful, powerful, I honestly, I think about that even as I like read prayers, um, sometimes on Sunday mornings, sometimes I read prayers and sometimes on Sunday mornings, sometimes I try not to, and I kind of go back and forth. But every time I feel like that sense of like, here goes nothing, God, <laughs> you know, like, and make the most of it, would you? Yeah. <laughs> the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. How about you, Caroline? Like, what was like, to, I think you framed it up better, the question of like, I was explaining what opened up to me. Like, what opened up the spirit to you that was like, oh, that was a new idea, an understanding mm. of the spirit that's like, man, that's so helpful. Yeah. I remember in high school, like, going through a, a book with, I think it was my youth group, uh, that, introduced the spirit it was i think i still received it a little bit more like a flat like bullet points of like the spirit does this and he does this and he does this and you call him a he so that's the first time it was like oh so that was a little bit of like a bursting of a category but um i think further is as it was taught um that the spirit's role in creation and in wisdom and how um kind of like, actually, just going broad strokes in the storyline, like the story begins with a beautiful mind, and then the beautiful mind takes a body, and then the body's spirit is given to us, and how like, kind of, I mean, the categories of who we are, right? Mind, body, and spirit is in the image of this creator that we are trying to understand and have communion with, and that like, his very essence, his very being, his very spirit is found in even the concrete things of the world. So like if I thought that it was comforting in our epiphany conversations that we have a savior that cries with us, we have also a God that is transcending the tears and can comfort us. Isn't just like in the pit with us, but Mm -hmm. also can transcend and like bring us out of the pit and reform us. Yes. Into the form that, the beautiful mind had at the beginning, yeah. right? Or like as Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Yeah. <laughs> right? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yes. Um, I think, too, that does reinvigorate and redefine the 3D world once we have the spirit because it like reminds us that just the 3D of what we're seeing, we don't just have camaraderie in our fallenness, but we have, yeah, a redemptive path forward and like what Jesus did was invigorated and propelled and brought about by the spirit. So like the same power force that brought him through death into life then is given to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say like two other ideas that I think really 
um, motivated me in my like understanding of the spirit um, was the same like the idea I remember reading a book on evangelism and and there was a whole chapter in that um, dedicated to the the same spirit that empowered Jesus for his work is like the same spirit that's given to me which sounds like the most simplest and obvious like connection like it shouldn't take a lot you know it shouldn't take like five years into pastoral ministry to figure that out right but it was like man I remember explaining that I was telling you about this earlier Caroline I remember explaining that to a high school student once and it was like getting ready for like a mission trip or something like that and I remember she came up to me after she's like can I can I just like repeat this back? Do you make sure I understand this right? So you're saying that like the same spirit that empowered Jesus is the same spirit that's given to me. And I was like, I think so. Like, I think that's what it is. Like, I'm like, Let me check yeah, my I'm, notes. Like, I'm still like, it doesn't feel right. Like probably like the way I live doesn't feel like it is the same spirit sometimes. But I'm like, I really think it is. And she's like, yeah, I think you're right. And, like, and it was like a, such a cool moment of like, um, I feel like one of you maybe already said this, but just this idea that like um, what unites us to Jesus is not a different spirit. What empowers us for our own lives, not a different spirit, though, but the spirit of God. Um, and so that was super empowering for me. The last thing I would say, I think that um, was impactful in my understanding of the spirit was um, Ephesians 1 where Paul talks about, uh, he kind of goes through like um, election and predestination and kind of like the work of Jesus and redemption, um, and then talks about um, the Spirit being the guarantor of our inheritance. So I would take inheritance to be basically the new creation in its most general sense. Um, and so we have an inheritance as we are Jesus followers, children of God, our inheritance is the new creation. And so the spirit is kind of then like the down payment, as Paul would say, of the full new creation. So this idea that like, we don't have to only think of the new creation as future, yeah. <laughs> right? That the, the spirit is like, I like the idea, this is probably a Tom Wright thing, at least it sounds like it, but like the idea of like, the new creation came rushing into the present in, mm-hmm. in, in uh, the spirit of God. And it's like, I'm going to like, you have the spirit and now you know the whole world will be fixed because you have the spirit. And I was like, wow. So like, as we live in this world now, we are then, um, well, as Paul talks about the temple, Mm -hmm. um, the place where God localizes himself now is Jesus followers. One of the best visuals I've seen of what you just described is Bible Project. It talks about how um, like we no longer have to have like a, a Wi-Fi box that we go to oh, to get Wi-Fi. It's like we have data <laughs> in <laughs> ourselves. And oh, interesting. it's, it's yeah, yeah. like we're walking uh, <laughs> hotspots. <laughs> Everywhere we go, we bring a, the spirit of God yeah, yeah. through our actual bodies, like located in ourselves. And yeah. that's, that was invigorating for me. And they do a great job. I can't remember which video, um, like showing how we then become little temples wherever yeah. we go. Well, and I think what was motivating for me, even in a, like you say, ethical moral sense was like, I always felt like I should be ethical 
because I need to be a good Christian, as opposed to like the new world that God is going to bring, has promised to bring, uh, is a world of love and peace and joy. And I now, vis-a-vis the spirit, am the representation of that new world. So why would I... Um, ethically make good decisions, whether truth-telling or sexual morals or whatever it may be, is like to represent in my new creation self the hope of the new creation, right? Not just to be able to say, like, I'm, I'm really, really moral, and so you should want to be like me. I'm a Christian, I'm moral. Um, but instead of, like, I have an opportunity to represent the peace and beauty and joy and love of the new creation. Um, and that was like, oh, that gave me new categories for how to think about uh, related to that. I was talking, I think it actually came up in one of my grad classes about the, uh, when believers choose to sin, that being one of the, one of the terrible parts of that is them enacting a lie about who God is <laughs> because of them bearing his spirit. Yeah. And that being both an empowering thing and a witness to the world of this is what we believe it means to be a Christian. And so the choice to enact sin is a defacing mm. of the, of in, in some, the spirit of God in you. Mm. Um, and there's just this continual lie mm. and that being something that just makes sin so stark. But on the flip side of it, when we say also that we have the spirit of God, we're also talking about like an active sanctification. So there's, hope even in coming out of that of we have chosen to deface our the world understanding of god by our choice to sin but we also believe that the same spirit in us that we are called to witness to is the one that will empower us to walk through this and be actively sanctifying us wow yeah yeah i'm like as you're saying that i'm like retelling myself the like genesis 3 the like um, golden calf, mm-hmm. you know, and just like retell it. Like it's like these these moments of as God's people, like believing lies and acting lies, um, and not trusting. Like this fight of the flesh to trust that what God calls us to in acts of obedience are genuinely. Um for good, for wholeness, for flourishing. Um, and when we sin, we, we are not trusting yeah. <laughs> that the story of, uh, that God's trying to set us up for flourishing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, and then the, so I was like, it's, we're reading this, I, you know, when we hit the lockdown, I started this Monday, Wednesday, Friday Bible study, and now it's just Monday, Fridays, and now it's not a Bible study, we just read the Bible. So we're trying to read mm-hmm. the whole Torah, so we've gotten through Genesis in the middle of Exodus, and it's just like, like as you're saying that individually, it's like I'm just rehearsing like the human story of struggle yeah. to like entrust ourselves to God. Um, you know, Abraham's like, I probably need to tell them you're my sister because I just don't think yeah. <laughs> I'll be protected, you know, yeah. and, uh, and on and on and on. But the flip side of that then is, you know, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets being able to talk to God and say, show who you are through your people, like rescue them, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. draw them out because that's a witness to yeah, the world to the of world. who you yeah, are. Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. And then cutting to like present day, I'm thinking about our body of Calvary mm-hmm. scattered 
Monday through Saturday, sometimes Sunday still, since we're not completely <laughs> together, but and how we're scattered kind of in our own little corners of Oak Park and beyond, but, um, you know, some working from home, some working in our workplaces, but it's like invigorating for me to think of like we have a temple in a lawyer office and we have a Mm. temple in Mm. a doctor's office and we have a temple raising kiddos and we have a temple like then his spirit is deployed through his people and never has to take a nap (laughs) that's that's, right it's invigorating so that like opens up a whole another conversation of like how can we be reminded of who we are when it can kind of feel like you know, on a Sunday night, we look at our week and it feels like monotony. Like how can the spirit animate even monotony? And the like sleep analogy is really interesting. I just thought of like, even the like reality of earth and the rotation of the earth, there's always a part of the earth that's awake, right? And so the spirit of God is able to like continue. The spirit of God does not need sleep. And is able to continue encouraging believers, empowering believers around the clock. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like to your point, like there's just temples yes. everywhere constantly going because in some part of the world they're sleeping right now. But don't worry, because there's another part of the world that's wide awake mm-hmm. and the spirit's with them. Okay, but the flip side of that is that it's precisely because the spirit is at work that we are able to rest. Because there's For an sure. aspect, there's a huge aspect yes. of trust in, I mean, even the, the believers of that in sleep you are kept by God yeah, yeah, and the spirit is still at work and it is a reminder to you that it's not just you. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and I, I, I think I would want to just, I think that's what I would even, yeah, totally say and affirm is that, um, the spirit is perpetually awake and we don't have to be Yeah, and doesn't want us to be <laughs> like it. That's like, I remember John Piper in a, some sermon years and years ago saying like, we have to accept the fact that we're as like effective as a dog eight hours a day, right? Like you're just like, you're asleep and you're like doing nothing, right? right. And you're like, no good. Right. <laughs> and just the humility of that. I mean, obviously we're resting and being rebuilt for the next day. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, totally that like on the seventh day, even, even God rested. And so like, um, I don't think that was like God needing to rest. I think that was God like giving us the what he wants his image to look like in the world. Um, and so yeah, the beauty is we can go to sleep at night knowing like God is the spirit of God is working somewhere else. Good night, <laughs> you know, but not here. <laughs> right? <I'm>, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> not, right, not right here right now. I'm going to bed. Yeah. And it's, this is on you spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, or he's, he's, keeping you and covering you like you've mentioned. Yeah, He's right. holding you. In. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we're thinking about all these ideas of, of the role of the spirit in redemption and in our personal lives. 
I think the exciting idea that we would like to present Pentecost, if no other season of the liturgical year, is, is a moment to massively celebrate the everyday work of every congregant in our church, no matter what vocation they're doing, of trying to um, help empower our congregants, no matter what they're doing, our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what vocation they do each and every day, to know that they are these little spirit temples, these these little places where God is localizing himself in the world. Um, and so, yeah, maybe you want to share a little bit mm-hmm. how we're going to do that through our yeah. podcast, throughout Pentecost. It's neat. I, I'm craving, like I want to hear other voices, right? Like mm. people who are on different uh, genres of front lines. <laughs> like mm. it, we, when we hear front lines, we think healthcare right now, which I mean, certainly that mm. is true, but also like the front lines of unfolding children and their personalities and their like raising children and those who are commuting downtown and those who are on spreadsheets in Excel on their computer. And it doesn't feel necessarily like, frontline work like how can each vocation the student the everything Mm. be frontline work and how can Mm. we like uplift that and reframe that for ourselves and remind us that we are temples of his presence wherever we go so um you know some of the things we want to do is hear from you all and hear how you are joining in the work how is the work that you're doing actually contributing to God's larger plan to make all things new. Um, and so that's kind of the first piece, and then we just want to continue the conversation. Uh, a couple years ago, I was introduced to Dorothy Sayers' essay on why work, in which she's talking about the shift in folks, this is understanding of work as they left wartime and re-entered. And mm. so there's a lot of fascinating stuff about waste and consumption, but she also has such a concise challenged the church about what it tells its people about what it means to work in the world, including possibly my most delightful and quoted part in that essay is when she talks about, you know, a carpenter. She goes, for some reason, the church has told him that he needs to, you know, show up at church on Sundays and not drink. And that that's the demand that his religion makes on him when the church should be telling him that his first demand is to make good tables. Mm. Shoddy tables do not glorify God. Mm. And she gets very precisely to the, what is it that is the good of what you do and how does that serve your community? But not merely just, oh, this type of thing is good, but the, the actual work to which you are equipped and called by God. And that being a, a joy for the church to celebrate and to lift up, which drawing that out in terms of a Pentecost season is really fascinating to me because Pentecost was the feast of weeks. I mean, it was, a, it was a mark of the harvest. So it was the time when folks were bringing the first, uh, like the first, first fruits, fruits first of the fruits, harvest yeah. in. So it was a representation yep. of this is the work that I've done in the world and we celebrate it and we rejoice it and we offer it to God. And in a we much continue. warmer climate than we live yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just such a delightful, like identifying this is, this is the harvest. This is the good thing. And this is, this is, a good that I know to do um, and being willing to reform that understanding a little bit. Cause I, maybe cause we're so, if you're not efficient or you're not, you know, productive in some measurable sense, it's hard to see that as a good, 
And that's mm-hmm. where Dorothy Sayers' essay on, on why work is one of my favorites of just her challenge to, to recalibrate what you understand is good, recognize that it's somewhat countercultural, and call the church to celebrate mm. the good of that work mm. that is, that is the, the giving of life to the world. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of, it's a little different, I suppose, but I think connected in some ways. Um, uh, where in Leviticus, it talks about like the equipping, that the, it was specifically the spirit that equipped workers to f- do all the threading and, yes. and yes. gold creation for the temple. Yeah. You know, but the, the, like it's specifically identified as like Yahweh. gave his spirit to empower these people to work with physical material of the earth. Just so well, like spirit-empowered sewing, which is crazy and delightful to think of. Mm. That's something that we've had a little bit of conversation about in the class of, this was a while ago, but the kind of... The class on Sunday morning. Sorry, the class on Sunday morning. uh, this This was a while ago, but the weird pressure that we've put on the next generation of telling them that you can do anything rather than you are equipped for something in specific. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the and the utter anxiety of anything in the world versus yeah. the you are in your image bearingness and yeah. as you are empowered with the spirit, there is something, there is a, a good and delightful work that God has called you to. And that being actually a very fruitful thing rather than a the anxiety of, you know, just pick anything you want. It's yeah. no, there's you fashioned in such a way to do good in the world and that yeah. be fulfilling and what is that yeah no that's really good i resonate with that like i think specialists may be better at knowing like what they're called at i feel very much like a generalist and so then you feel like you need to be a specialist to be effective Hmm. and collaborative with specialists as a generalist but a generalist you can't (laughs) because you're a generalist yeah and i very much feel like a generalist and so it's like once you can come to grips with the fact that like no, my gifting is not trying to like figure out everything, digging all the way down deep, but to help keep everything together. Yeah. Um, because sometimes the specialists don't always see the breadth of what the generalist has to deal with. Yeah. Um, and like that, that you know, to that, like like identifying, like okay, that's where that is good I'm work. Fit. Yeah, that's where I'm fit, and yeah. I don't need to like you know, and that is empowering for sure. Well, I'm excited about this, and I think um, I will be. Um, Gerald is starting his sabbatical. Uh, his last sermon will be the sermon before Pentecost uh, Sunday. So Pentecost Sunday and the following Sunday, I have the uh, privilege and opportunity to preach on Acts 2. And then we're excited to kind of unfold all of this as we help. I think the end goal for us, you could kind of go a couple different directions, I'm sure, as you think about celebrating the role of the Spirit in our lives, in our church, and in the world. Um, through Pentecost. But I think the specific thing that we're trying to identify here that we're excited about is the role of the Spirit mm-hmm. in the everyday work that our entire church family is engaged in yes. week in and week out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what we want to highlight this year is through the season of Pentecost is that the Spirit is active and alive and localizing himself, which is we call the temple, <laughs> in all of our people each and every day in everything they're doing and equipping them to do what they do. Um, so that's, I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too.